Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be at camp meeting. Lord, those words that I say today, let them horrify you and let them be your words. As we discuss issues of stewardship and estate planning, we just ask that you guide us in all that we do. I ask these things in thy name. Amen. The who, what, when, and where of estate planning. We're not going to talk about technical terms. What I want to do is I want to give you a handout, and this will thank you. This will give you some basic terms. Now, what this seminar is about is it's about to educate you about estate planning. Okay? I'm going to use more realistic terms, but don't be confused. This is not going to be basic. The stuff that you're going to learn is going to be pretty advanced. But we're going to use simple terms. Okay, we're going to use simple terms that we can all relate Keep to. Handy, right? Keep that handy. Also, this is interactive. I want, to, I want to interact. This is your seminar. So if you have questions, let me know. Afterwards, we're going to have a time before closing prayer to do questions. And then I'm going to stay around for about a half hour afterwards. And we can talk about more in-depth things, more personal things if you'd like, okay? But this is your seminar. The reason that we want to have terms is so we speak the same language. So a number of years ago, my family and I were at the Dominican for a mission trip with ASI. And the first day, we were doing a construction project, and I needed a generator. Okay? So I don't speak Spanish. Um, Sometimes I wonder how good my English is, but Spanish I'm not great at. So I went to the maintenance person and you know, I'm miming things, I'm using my Spanglish and it's not going well. I need a generator. And I had one of our translators come over, but they spoke Spanish, they didn't speak the dialect that we were at, and it just wasn't working out. And finally, the person that came there that was from the Dominican, I said, Gio, I, I need a generator. He goes, tell me you need a generator. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, generator in Spanish or Dominican is the same as English. It's generator. So what did I get out of this story? Number one is you have to speak the language to communicate well, right? Number two is sometimes it's easier than we think it is, right? Sometimes the terms that we use shouldn't be that difficult. As long as we understand the language that we're saying, it should work out. And I think that principle works well throughout. So what is our week going to look like? When we look at this week, we're going to talk about estate planning made simple. On Tuesday, if you want to come back, we're going to talk about who has the power. So we're going to talk about powers of attorneys, guardianships, conservatorships. Wednesday, we're going to talk about who do you trust. We're going to talk about trusts. Thursday, we're going to talk about what is your will. We're going to talk about wills. And finally, Friday, when and where do I start? Um, we are going to literally need all the time that we have. So let's get started. So estate planning made simple. When I say the word estate planning, what do you think about? Yell at answers, whatever you think. Or if you don't know, that's even better, right? That's why we're here. Yeah? 
assets or whatever, I mean, or whatever you value. Right, all of your assets, right? That's good. Or where you want your assets to go when you pass. Where you want your assets to go, right? Um, anybody else? Make sure your family's taken care of it. Make sure your family's taken care of it. Excellent, yes, very much so. What I like about this slide and those that are listening, unfortunately you can't see it, it has the word estate planning, it has a bunch of words around it. And that's what's important. You know, it talks about probate, it talks about special needs trusts, it talks about wills and estate, it talks about executors. I didn't count the words here, but I'm guessing that we have between 50 and 75 words. That's estate planning. In preparing for this, I was looking at terms, and I looked up the term estate planning. And you know what the definition was? An ambiguous legal term. <laughs> and I think the reason why is we make so much out of estate that planning. That was the total definition. That was the total definition. Okay. Um, so when we look at estate planning, we don't want to talk about boring terms. You know, we don't want to talk about living wills and advanced directives, but you need to know what those are. So what our goal is, is going to be kind of talking about estate planning. So let's talk about the very simplistic part of it. Estate planning is about stewardship, being a steward. God blesses us with many assets, right? Um, sometimes we're blessed more than we know. But estate planning really at its root is stewardship. What do you do with those assets? How do you handle those assets? I love this verse from 1 Corinthians uh, 4.2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must provide faithful. And I think that gives us kind of a definition of what estate planning is. Very basic, very simplistic. So if you think about estate planning and stewardship, that's pretty easy, right? What's the definition? One word, stewardship. I'm going to give you a term handout. Um, if you see a term or if we talk about a term that you're not sure what it is, it's on your handout. Now I have to warn you, these terms are not legal terms. I didn't go to Black's Law Dictionary and pick out these terms and write them out. I didn't use the terms that I learned in law school. These are terms I think that we can all relate to. And it gives you kind of a basic idea, but it gives you the opportunity to Kind of understand something as you go through. So this term sheet will help you and it'll give you more basic and practical terms. So we talked about estate planning being stewardship, but what really do we talk about when we say the word estate planning besides an ambiguous, hard to define legal term? If we wanted to look at the textbook definition, which I hate, but let's start with that. Estate planning is the process of preparing for the transfer of a person's wealth and assets after his or her death. Well, that sounds a little depressing. Um, most estate planners look forward to death. It, it's kind of a morbid field if you really think about it. And to some extent, estate planning is still hard because of two things, I believe. Number one, the terms that we use. We just throw out these terms and assume that everybody knows what they are. So that makes it complicated because you're just like, I don't know what we're talking about. We're not talking about the same language. The other thing that I think people dislike about estate planning 
is it's just depressing, right? We're talking about death. Nobody wants to go to their attorney. You know, I'm having a great day. Why don't I go talk to the attorney? We'll talk about death for an hour or so. They'll prepare a bunch of documents, and we'll go back and we'll talk about death some more. I think that the definition fails us a little bit because estate planning shouldn't just be about death. It should be about your whole lifetime, right? It should be about what you want to do with your assets, what you want to do to prepare for your whole life. It's really, to some extent, instead of looking forward to death, celebration of life. And I think if you change the mindset a little bit for people, I think it makes it a little bit easier. I think this is a more practical definition. Estate planning is the preparation and documents to be completed to ensure effective protection and transfer of assets. So when we're talking about this one, do you see the word death isn't anywhere in here? In my practical definition, I don't care about death. I know it's inevitable if Jesus doesn't come again during our lifetime, but I think that by using the term death in the textbook definition, I think it really limits our mindset. So when we're going through this, don't think about the what happens if I die, although that's a portion of it. Think about how does this affect my life? How does it affect me today? How does it affect me into the future? So I think that gives us a better idea of what to really look for. Questions? Concerns? Okay, why do we do estate planning? Um, I'm going to use a lot of the illustrations in my life. I always feel like my family gives a lot of good legal examples. Uh, sometimes not intentionally, but it does happen. And one thing that you do when you're a new attorney, you have no clients, so your family and friends come to you. So I did a lot of stuff for shirt tail relatives and family members. So when I first started practicing law, after I worked for the judge, I worked for a law firm in Mount Pleasant. And there were seven of us, and in that area, that was a large law firm. And when I became an owner, there was a requirement. The requirement is that you properly have to transfer your ownership if something happens to you, if you become disabled or die. So what happened was they said, you need to have a trust. And I said, great, I do this every day. And they're like, no, not you. You know, what's the old uh, saying from Abe Lincoln? You guys ever heard this one? In God we trust. In God we trust, trust to verify, those are good ones. But it goes something like this, and it's been kind of changed throughout time, but a attorney who represents himself has a fool for a client. Okay, so the idea is you never do your own legal work. So my partner spent a lot of time, he had a trust set up for myself, a trust set up for my wife. I could not get my wife in. She just would not come into the office. And so these sat on the corner of his desk, and he had a very large desk. And I would go into his office every now and then, and he'd point at the corner of the desk. I'd say, yes, Steve, I understand. I know, I know. And he'd say, no, really, you need to get your wife in here. And so finally I said, okay, she'll be in here by November. Now the nice thing, I never told him which year. That was important. It took... 
She didn't want to face it. It was just depressing. She didn't want to deal with it. Um, we had to deal with some issues like if we were to get disabled or pass away, who would take care of our children? Man, that's a horrible decision to make. If I become disabled and can't make my decision, but I'm in the hospital, who's going to make my decision for my health care? Like Gene said, the state, right? If we don't decide. Yeah. So my wife just didn't really want to do this. It was just horrible to think of. She was thinking about the original definition of death, right? So I would talk to her about it, and she just wouldn't come in, wouldn't come in. Finally, she came in four years later. <laughs> but it was before November. <laughs> it was actually August. So she came in. We sat down. She signed the documents. We reviewed them beforehand. Steve did a great job on reviewing the documents. We signed it. We went out to lunch. We went back to the bank. We transferred our bank accounts. She goes, this was easy. And her comment was really neat, and that was, why did it take so long for us to do this? It probably gave her a lot of peace, too. It gave her a lot of peace. I always thought it was interesting us to do this, right? <laughs> but I want you to think about this story as we go through. I don't tell, tell stories to entertain you, although it is pretty entertaining. There's a lot to be brought out of this story that we're going to talk to through the rest of the week, and that is change your mindset, your perspective on things. Be a little bit more open-minded. Don't be focused on death. Don't be focused on these obscure and weird terms, okay? Look at the bigger picture in these things. So why do we do estate planning? Peace of mind. This is one of the biggest ones, and I put that towards the top. Virtually all of my clients, after we were done, they made statements to the effect of, I can sleep better tonight. Now I feel more secure. Thank you for getting us direction. So it's peace of mind. It's trying to deal with the uncertainties. We know that there's going to be uncertainties in life and that you can't control everything, but this does give you a little bit of a peace of mind. Sense of security, I think that's a little bit different than peace of mind. A lot of times we want security in our life. We want to feel secure in what we do. We want to feel secure in where we are. Why do we have locks on our doors in our home? We want to feel secure. This gives you an opportunity to maybe get some security in some of the things that you were insecure about initially. The biggest one usually that you'll find in the security issues is powers of attorney. In guardianships. My daughter claimed that this was gonna work. Okay, I can do it the old fashioned way. Next one is protection of wealth. Most financial advisors don't understand this concept. Protection of wealth. What your estate plan does sometimes is it puts things over into a different basket. It gets a little wall between you and your assets. So if something happens to me, 
If I get sued, there may be some protections to my wealth. There may be some protections of wealth into the future for my family. I may make a decision that one of my beneficiaries, somebody that's going to receive my wealth upon my passing, maybe they're not as responsible as they could be. Um, I currently am a trustee for my great cousin, my second cousin. Um, she is horrible at spending. Um, last night I reluctantly wrote a check to her um, because she's in financial straits again. I just sent a check to her two months ago. Uh, we had a very long discussion of what her mother wanted for her. She wanted to protect her wealth because she understood the temptations out there. One of the things I absolutely hate, and I stopped doing it, is I used to give checks out on Friday. We used to administer estates and we'd close out on Fridays, especially towards the end of the month. And so what we'd do is somebody would come in, we'd hand them the final distribution for the trust or from the estate, and about 50% of the time, they showed up with a new car. It's just really sad. One particular case was individual. I knew the father very well. Uh, he was sick. We did his estate plan. He had two pieces of property. He had two 40s. And he had some cash. Now... It said the assets were to be distributed equally. So equal to me would be give 140 to one kid, 140 to the other kid, divide the cash. Things are simple, right? Now, the property was all tillable ground, so it was productive farm ground. They had leases on the land. So if you had this 40 acres, it would be income generating. And it would actually put you farther ahead because there was enough to pay taxes and insurance and things like that. So this would have been a good asset to have. So I sat down with them, and they were co-personal uh, representatives. I'm going to tell you, spoiler alert, don't ever do this. This is one of the examples. The more rational son said, okay, you give me this 40, you give my brother the other 40, or if he doesn't agree to that, we'll put them in a hat, we'll put the descriptions in a hat, we'll pull out the hat. They were pretty close. They were right next to each other. Now, land is unique. There's never two exact 40s, but for the most part, these were about as close as you were going to get for acreage. His brother didn't agree to that. His brother said, you have the real estate, I'll take the cash, and we'll call that good. Both of us cringed with this concept. It just didn't make financial sense. And we had some rocky roads through the administration of the estate. Finally, the Friday came in which I was going to give the deed to the one brother for the 240s, the check to the other brother. He was late by 45 minutes. I remember this almost like it was yesterday. His brother was just seething. He finally came in. He was dressed in a leather jacket that said Harley Davidson. He had a new truck. He had a trailer behind it that said Harley Davidson. He said he was late because they did not get his motorcycle finished. So I got to look at the check. I got to look at what he was driving, things like that. Mentally did the math. He had spent more that day than he had brought in on that check, probably. Now the sad thing is he was also in financial straits. He had some problems paying his property taxes. What was wrong with that picture? 
Dad knew that he wanted to protect the wealth. They had an opportunity to do so, but they didn't. Okay? So this is some of the reasons why we do this. And by the way, the stories I tell you, I've talked to my clients. I'll never tell you names, but they've said, use this. This is a good example. Tell this to somebody else. I figure we learn more from our mistakes than our triumphs sometimes. They more look for tax issues, okay? When you go to a financial planner, there's nothing wrong with financial planners, but they always talk about the tax, the tax, the tax. I'll give you a great example. Uh, again, I'll use my family. Um, we have some uh, deferred tax accounts, 401ks, and my wife has some 404bs. Now, the traditional thing that you would do with this is, if we were to pass, we would roll it into somebody else. We'd name a beneficiary, right? They would continue the tax deferment, and then when they get to retirement age, then they would have a nest egg. The problem, though, is any beneficiary can cash out their 401k or 404b at any time, but they pay two taxes. They pay a 10% penalty unless it falls into that criteria and with your exempt, you know, like you're uh, going through a divorce or you have a situation where you're in a foreclosure. There's some examples in which you can do it and waive the 10%. Health reasons. Health reasons um, I think there's 10 articulable reasons. But if we were to do that and name our children as beneficiaries, they were minors at the time. They also had some unique spending habits that we were worried that was going to come into adulthood. So we said, okay, we are going to name the beneficiaries our trust. Um, a financial planner would say that's the absolute worst thing to ever do. But my goal was to protect assets. It wasn't to save tax money. Right? I would rather pay that small penalty up front, let that asset grow, than to just turn those assets over to them and them having a really good time with that money potentially. So you, you they're not treated the same as a, a child beneficiary, but if you put it to a trust, you have to pay taxes on Correct. You still have to pay taxes on it. You do get hit with the tax. And that's what the financial planner had the hard time with. Now remember, he's doing his job, right? He's advising me tax-wise. I'm just saying, think of the bigger picture here. Don't let the tail wag the dog. Don't let the tax uh, tail wag the estate planning body of the dog. And again, this is, this is kind of a more complicated issue. And the tax people just don't get this. I mean, because they're so focused on them. Now the other ones will say, yes, I understand, I agree. But he's doing his job or her job by saying you don't do this. But they have to look at the bigger picture, and that's the protection of wealth. The next reason some people do estate planning is control. Control can be a good thing or a bad thing. It depends on your motives of control, okay? Why I say your motives of control is are you doing it for a good reason, or are you doing it for a bad reason? There's an old saying, don't rule from the grave, okay? Where that comes from is the idea of these absurd trusts that you've ever heard of, uh, where you have to do so many things in order to get your inheritance, 
And afterwards, I can give you some really bad examples of what you don't do. But, you know, those are the silly things, like if you marry by the age of 30, you get your inheritance, or, you know, if you, kind of the movie reasons, you know, they make good drama, but unfortunately, they're true. There are those trusts out there. But if you're doing it for bad reasons like that, don't do it. And a lot of people that do estate planning, they will usually not do that for somebody. They may say, somebody down the road would do that, but I just don't feel comfortable with that. The other reason for control, though, could be a little bit better. And that is, one of the other reasons that you may want to have control is you have somebody that you don't think is quite mature enough to receive an inheritance. That's control. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a trust set up where it says, okay, um, my children receive any amount of distribution for their education, for their welfare, for their health, for their maintenance. And then when they turn a certain age, they can get a portion of it or all of their inheritance. There's nothing probably wrong with that depending on the child because you're still giving your trustee the ability to give them assets for certain things, but you're not giving them a new car. You're not giving them those temptations that we have. And think about it, it's, it's hard to be a young adult these days. Sometimes it's hard to be a real adult these days, right? An older adult. We get bombarded by advertising. If you're having a horrible day, buy a Buick. You know, you're having a hard time at work, go on a cruise. You know, just think about it. Watch the ads sometime. If you're unhappy with your life, spend some money. You'll feel much better until the bill comes, right? But, you know, sometimes you want to have a little bit of control over that. But control is not just for trust. Control is also in wills. Who's going to be in charge of my estate? Who has the power? Now, there may be the practical ones. You know, maybe, maybe it's my spouse. In my situation, my spouse is very well set. But in some of our situations, your spouse may be going through grieving. Your spouse maybe have some medical issue where that's not necessarily the best person to put, just from a practical standpoint. And that's not necessarily automatic? It will if you don't have a document. So if you don't have a will, um, the Estates and Protected Individuals Code will say, if I don't have a will, my wife is automatically in charge, or my husband. Now, the problem with that is, again, it's the state regulating where it should go. It's a default. Now I can always override that with a document, with a will. But if I don't, then it happens. Again, here's another issue, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in wills, but do you know that if you pass away without a will in Michigan, that only a percentage goes to your spouse, another portion goes to your children? Yeah, it's a really hard conversation that you have with a spouse when they come in and say, everything's mine, right? And you go, well. It's like if a business was just in your husband's name. That Correct. would go to your children and your Correct. spouse. But if it was in both your names, then it would go to Right. And the business is a great example. Or sometimes, and there's reasons to do this, but sometimes the house is only in one spouse's name. 
and then they pass away, and then the surviving spouse comes in and says, hey, I'm here to get the house. You know, can you put the house, the deed in my name? I'm like, yes, but we need to bring the kids in here because we either need to get them to waive their interest in the property or we need to come to some type of agreement. That's a hard conversation to have. Now, if everything's going well in your family, um, there's usually never an issue. But it's never the kids I've ever had problems with. It's the friends and the in-laws. And if we're old enough, it's the grandchildren. Grandchildren are interesting. They have great ideas on what they want their grandparents to do, and they're there to share to protect them. In Michigan, you do not have to give your children anything. You can exclude your children. You're only required to give a distribution to your wife. Now, if you do not have a will, it will go to your children equally. Actually, it will go to a portion of your wife and then to your children equally. If you don't have a spouse, it goes to your children equally. But is that a percentage? It, it's... Actually, what it's set up with is it's set up with a specific amount, then a percentage. And there's this really complicated chart that nobody understands. And when somebody comes in, we just say, okay, let's get the book out. <laughs> we turn over our pages and we say, okay, you get the first 174000 and then you get this much, this percentage. Mm -hmm. Correct, correct. And there's no will. And if there's no will. Right. Now... If everything's joint, right, it's not a problem, right? So if you and I have a joint bank account, I pass away, you get it. You show up with the death certificate, they take my name off the account, you've got it. We don't go through probate, we don't have to worry about any documents, all you need is the death certificate. Is that the same thing with insurances? Most of the time. So with insurances, we look at beneficiary forms, right? So with a beneficiary form, what we have is we have a named beneficiary. So you fill out the form, give the death certificate, and say, okay, it's time to distribute to the named beneficiary. And if there's no beneficiary in that, it goes to the estate. It, and it's divided according to the rules of dying intestate. It does. It does. And that's the biggest problem. And Wait a minute. What was that term? Dying intestate? Well, I'll Intestate. It's, it's without a will. Okay. That one I didn't put on your sheet intentionally. <laughs> Intestate. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So a will is the only document that we're going to talk about for this whole time that we deal with death. So that's why I hated that first definition that focused on death. The only document that we talk about for death is a will. Everything else is during your lifetime. That's why it still plays with my mind that we're so obsessed with a death, with estate planning, where really a only small portion of it, and really, again, the simplest document has to deal with death. If a person is alive, why can't they just give that person in the family what they want instead of having it written out as an estate planning? They can, but there are potentially two problems that you run into with that. Number one, in Michigan and through federal, you can't give over $15,000 to somebody without 
doing a tax reporting on it. Number two is, and this kind of ties with that, it's how you make distributions. In Michigan, with the Uniform Transfer to Minors Act, I can only give a minor a certain amount of money. Uh, actually, um, it's for husband and wife. So we could get up to that amount with husband and wife. Um, so in Michigan, I can only give a certain amount to uh, a child without going to court and setting up a conservatorship for them. No, it's just a reporting requirement. Um, the other problem that you turn into is, number one, lack of control. My goal as an estate planner is to always make sure that you have control over your assets as long as you want it, right? And there's a lot of methods that we could give um, an asset, like a house to somebody, and still retain control. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but there's something called a ladybird deed. These are wonderful. I love these things. These things are great. Um, the other problem that you run into, and this doesn't affect a lot of people, pardon? Yeah, that's not in there either, because that's really complicated, but we'll get into that. Just while I finish up her, and then we'll get to you. Um, the problem also is if you ever need to become eligible for federal benefits, Medicaid, they look back on any gift for 60 months or five years. They can now. Depends what kind of trust you put it in. If you put it in irrevocable, you have a chance. Yes? That's per year. Yeah, it's not per lifetime, it's per year. Um, it's amazing how many people give gifts on December 30th and January 2nd. <laughs> okay, so control is one of the other things that we look at. Final is tax reasons. Don't get too caught up on tax reasons. Um, a number of my clients are very wealthy. I don't know if you want to use the word very, very wealthy. It's probably true. They're in the federal estate tax. Um, when I first started, if you had over $600,000 in assets, anything above that was taxed at a 50% tax rate. Now, this is important because what did I estate? What do you get taxed at? 50%, right? But only if you don't hit the maximum amount. So I started with 600,000. So if you had 800,000 upon your death, the first 600,000 was free, absolutely free. Then you got taxed 50% on that other 200,000, which means you pay $100,000 in taxes. Reason I wanna tell you this is because you will hear out there if you don't have a trust, the federal government's going to take half of your money. That is not true. Now, as I... The seminar said, I went to a seminar, and the attorney said the only way you can protect yourself if you get ill and have to go into a nursing home is by spending $2,000 and having her set up a trust that nobody else can do. Yep. That set out some bells and whistles. So I'm gonna tell you some secret things, and this is being recorded, so I'm assuming I'll be in good shape, but I've been pretty vocal about this for years. Um, not everybody needs a trust. 
Most people that come to my office, I try to talk them out of a trust. Now, a trust is a very good thing in limited circumstances, and we'll talk about that. Trust can be an absolute important tool if you need one. But if you don't need one, a will is just fine. Most of us are never going to be at the $22 million level, the $25 million level, where we're really going to have to worry about federal estate tax. If you are, we will talk. <laughs> Twenty-two million. Twenty-two million. 22 million. Yeah. Yeah. So there are certain circumstances in which you're going to use a trust, and they're wonderful things. But think about this from a practical. I'm just going to put this question out for you, and then you can decide. Let's say I charge somebody, and we're going to use really simple numbers. We're going to use $2,000 because you brought it up. Let's say I charge $2,000 for a trust, right? Well, let's say I only charge $200 for a will. Which do you think makes my partners happier that I prepare more? You said it, I didn't. <laughs> so I think we're fine on a recording. So just think about what the person is trying to sell you, okay? Um, I had a meeting with somebody the other day. I didn't think she needed a will. We prepared a, a deed for her. I think with recording costs, we were under $100. Life was good. She was happy. And her goals were met. She didn't even need a will. No. Not in her circumstances. Okay. Not in her circumstances. I had a will prepared. My husband passed away a couple years ago. And he never really needed to Right. So, in, right. You bring up a good point, and that is also with estate planning, we look at timing, right? Sometimes you don't need your documents right now. Sometimes you will need them in the future. And I got to tell you a hint. Sometimes you never need them at all. But it's one of those things. You only need a piece of paper when you need it. Mm. And in court, I never got worried about the people that came in with the big, um, I always love this, they brought in their little travel suitcases with their whole file in there. And, you know, you'd sit there and they would organize everything and they'd have all this paper and, of course, the jury looked at that and went, wow. I would sit there with my documents, with my agenda, with my write-outs, a couple sheets of paper, everything was well organized. But the person that showed up that I was against, they had one or two sheets of paper, I was a little terrified, I gotta tell you, because I didn't know it was in that sheet or two of paper. But somebody that has a ton of paper, I never really worry about. But sometimes you do need that. So you'll see an estate planning booklet that'll be this big. Sometimes you will use every sheet of paper in there. Sometimes you only use a couple. But, you know, the hard part about this is I will give you a perfect plan. I will give you an absolute perfect plan, estate plan. And I can probably keep it down to five pages. And that includes the signature page. I just need a few bits of information from you. I need to know your exact assets on your death. I need to know when you're going to die, and I need to know the laws at that time. Yeah. <laughs> Those are three simple questions. Come on. <laughs> We're going to spend about five hours together, depending if you stay for the whole time. Just answer me three simple questions. What? Exactly. Exactly. 
So questions? Questions? Could you go back to something you mentioned when you were talking about the uh, 240s? Mm -hmm. And you, you kind of mentioned in passing that the two brothers were named as co-personal representatives, which is the same as an executor yes. on the list there. Um, and that was not a good thing. I'm thinking you're referring to naming co-personal representatives. Yes. So would you explain to us why having co-personal representatives is not a good idea? Yes. Have you ever heard the story, Too Many Cooks in the Kitchen? What do they do? Spoil the broth. Spoil the broth. Getting each other's way. Yeah. <laughs> Parents a lot of times are worried about harmony. I have two children. My goal is to treat them as equally as possible. Key is there as possible. They don't get treated absolutely equal. It, they don't get Well, yes and no. Okay, let's use your term. We're not going to treat them the same, okay? If you take that philosophy forward and say, I want to keep harmony in my family, I want to keep my children the same, I'm going to name them as co-equal personal representatives in charge of my will. All I can say is thank you. My children thank you. The court thanks you because you've now increased potentially the bill from here to here. Because what I get to be is I get to be a mediator. And that's my least favorite job. But it makes you a lot of money. Right. Right. And fairly, I still think is different than equally. But fairly might be that they would have, in my case that I gave you, named the more rational business child to be in charge of it. Because what he would have done, bar none, is said, you get this 40 acres, I get this 40 acres. You want to dispute? We're going to either flip a coin, we're going to draw the out of the hat, we're going to do something so there's going to be a random choosing of which 40 goes to which. You're going to get half the money, I'm going to get half the money. That might have been the best resolution of that. But once you put both of them in charge, you didn't do one thing. You didn't give them an opportunity to interact. You gave one a veto power. That's terrifying. My law partner, I loved him to death. We all had four equal shares and everything that happened in the firm. He was our managing partner who used to tell me, I've got a veto power. It changed the perspective on things. It changes how the dynamic works because then they're not equal. Then you put them in a situation where there's a misbalance of power because somebody can trump somebody else. And this is where this isn't necessarily a basic class because, or seminar, because people that draft these documents that don't administer them don't see this dynamic happening. When you come in and somebody just writes out a plan for you and they don't understand the personalities involved, one of the biggest questions I always ask is, how do your kids get along? Which is the more dominant? 
which is the most dominant child that you have? Because that's important. It's amazing stuff that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago all of a sudden bubbles up when mom and dad pass away. And I've heard it. You know, when we were kids, I had this bicycle. And the first thing I say is, remember, I charge you by the hour, right? You can tell me the bicycle story, but how does that affect us today? Be practical. You know, my thought is be practical. I'm from the UP. You know, a lot of things are black and white. It's just, it's easy, you know. Cut through the making things difficult. What's practical? Yeah. My question is, when my children were small, did I do the same discipline on all of them? Mm-hmm. Or did I use the discipline for each at work? Right. And that's really a key. You know, and my wife is a social worker, and her and I have these great debates on stuff like this, right? Um, every child is different. And my children are completely different. And I, I don't think we dropped one on the head more than the other. I think it was kind of equal. But seriously, you know, they are drastically different in their personalities. The way we have to interact with each one of them are drastically different sometimes. Motivator of one is not a motivator of another one. Punishment for one is not a punishment for the other. It's just, it's really unique. And if you've done that for your whole life, why do you think it would all of a sudden change when you pass away? The dynamics don't change. There's a spoof on a vacation commercial I think is just incredibly funny because it's so ironic. And the person kind of made a spoof and said, if you're still having problems with your marriage, going on a one-month vacation with your spouse is not going to help. If you're unhappy with your job when you go, Having a long vacation is not going to help. You bring your personality, you bring your baggage, you bring the emotional issues that you have into your vacation. Why would we think it's any different than your will? Why would we think it's any different than your powers of attorney? So what my job is to somewhat is to make you think about some of these things. Um, again, I'll give you a spoiler alert. It's not hard to go to Staples to get a piece of paper or a document. When we talk about wills, they're not real difficult. It's the process of going through it. You know, it's getting the person to go through it. It's getting these gentlemen to kind of explain it to you and say, okay, is there something else going on in your family? You know, is there something else? Is there a reason why you're choosing this person? You said something that's really um, important. You know what, when I ask somebody, who's going to be your power of attorney for healthcare? Who's going to be your power of attorney for financial matters? Well, my oldest child. Why? Because they're the oldest. But are they the most qualified? And sometimes the answer is no. A birthright is only a birthright in ancient times. The fact that you've got your oldest child may not be the best. When you pick the power attorney, like you say, you should see how the kids are, how smart they are now. But sometimes, isn't it better to have somebody out of the family? Yes. 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 Sometimes. It really depends. It depends who it's outside of the family. Before we leave the co-personal representative, I just want to clarify, it is not a good thing to have a co-personal representative. Yes. 
And is it true also that besides this dynamic that you mentioned, that even if they were cooperative with each other, um, having co-personal representatives means that in legal, the legal aspect of things, they both have to sign off on things instead of one for the other or whatever. So there's another reason, even if they get along, then they both have to sign off on everything. And, and given that, they are supposed to follow the document. Yes. Uh, and, and so, but there's still opportunity for fraud, I suppose, in some cases. So. There is, and he made a very good point, and um, we'll really go over this in depth when we talk about powers of attorney, but when you have co of anything, co-personal representatives, co-trustees, co-agents, what you talk about in that case is you talk about those individuals having to literally sometimes sign off on everything. And that's where your veto power comes in. I'm not gonna sign. I just, I refuse. What are you gonna do to me? Well, we're gonna go to court. We're gonna let the judge decide. You've now taken a bad situation and made it much worse. So I do two things before I go. I'm gonna stay around for a while, for however long you need. I wanna kinda of talk about this sheet a little bit. We've thrown away a lot of terms, so I wanna to try to hit some of these. Um, and I want to tell you where they're going to kind of fit in. An administrator, you hear this all the time, I'm the administrator of something. Well, that's a person or a company who is legally appointed to manage assets. So an administrator is usually somebody that's court appointed. My favorite is administrator, um, executor, and personal representative. For the most part, they're usually the same thing. You know what's really wild? This is the only career I've ever seen where we change the terms. About every 50 years, we change the terms. When I first came into practicing law, when I worked for the judge, it was in 99, they had changed the whole probate code. They had gotten rid of it. And they did the Estates and Protected Individuals Code, epic. Doesn't that sound important? So when the kids used to say things are epic, I'm like, great, you're gonna be an estate planner. They were not amused. My children have heard every legal joke that there is. Um, but they just totally revamped it. At that point, most of the older attorneys are like, we're not even gonna learn new terms, we just give up. So when you hear some of these terms, the reason why is I refer to it as job security. We change, the legislatures, the attorneys, the judges change the terms about every 50 years, 20 to 50 years, that way we keep people enough confused that they don't think it's simple anymore. No, no, well, sometimes, but. Yes, yes. Don't quiz me on Latin, I know about five phrases. I had to know a bunch of them in law school. I had to have a whole semester of Latin. Advanced directives, you're gonna hear this all the time. It's the same thing as do not resuscitate, patient advocate designation, power of attorney for healthcare, uh, power of attorney for, um, there's another term that they use, Power of attorney for medical designations. This is all the same. So my favorite is, I've got a patient advocate document. What do you have? Well, I've got a power of attorney for healthcare. Ooh, maybe I need one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, it's the same. Uh, agent, I'm gonna say this word a lot. If I draft out a document called power of attorney, I make you my agent, you're not my power of attorney. You're my agent. The power of attorney is the document. So I love it, people come in and say, I'm the power of attorney for this person. We know what they're saying, but really they're the agent for that. Um, 
An amendment to a trust? Guess what? An amendment to a trust is an amendment. What do we call an amendment to a will? A codicil. Why? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a codicil is an amendment to a will. But an amendment to a trust is an amendment. A beneficiary is, is a person who will receive a benefit from a trust, life insurance policy, or will. That's the one term that really goes all the way across the spectrum. It's really neat. A beneficiary for life insurance is a beneficiary for a will, which is a beneficiary for a trust. It's kind of neat. You can. A lot of times they'll call them a pay on death or a joint account. They're calling them beneficiaries now. And what I love is credit unions, banks call them different terms. Well, the beneficiary, they explained to me, I didn't have to have my son's signature to put him on the beneficiary, but I needed it if I put him on the co-owner. Correct. And I couldn't get it. And there's another thing for co-ownership. Be very careful about co-ownership of anything. Remember we talked about control? You really lose a lot of control. If I put my daughter on my bank account, my 20-year-old daughter, and she gets sued, guess who gets tied into that lawsuit? Guess whose account gets turned into that lawsuit, even though she wouldn't have put a penny into it? Got another thing. I have two teenage drivers. Guess whose name is on the car? Mine, unfortunately. Guess what happens the minute that they get in an accident? Yeah. But let's say I have older children. Why would I ever put my name on a vehicle with them? So you have to be very careful. Bank accounts are so interesting because not only is there a difference between financial accounts, bank accounts, and credit union accounts where they'll call the names differently, but they'll also have the signatures as different. So that's a great example. Because if I wanted to put my daughter's name as pay on death or transfer on death, she wouldn't have to sign anything. She doesn't have any ownership. It just goes to her automatically. The minute I put her name on the account, she can take the money out tomorrow. No legal duties. Matt, can you just briefly talk about the difference between having someone as a co-owner and as a signer? Yes. So we refer to them as authorized signers. If somebody is an authorized signer, they have the ability to sign on the account. If you've ever been in a business, I'm an authorized signer on a couple businesses. I can sign on it. I don't necessarily own that account, but I can sign the check. Where you get a little bit of, yeah, where you get in a lot of gray area is I could technically probably sign a check to me. We call that embezzlement or fraud. <laughs> okay. That would protect me from the lawsuit. That would protect me from the lawsuit. I want to just touch on a couple other terms that we use today. Power of attorney is a document that gives authority for another person to act. That's on the bottom. You're going to hear the word um, probate and probate process. Um, the process of probate is to establish the validity of a will. Probate itself is the process of going through the probate court. Um, Trustee is a person or trust company that has control over administering the assets. The other favorite of mine, um, trust maker, settler, and grantor, they're all the same. It just depends on which year your trust was drafted. I can always tell somebody's trust within about 10 years of it being drafted about what, year, what term they use for the person that's drafted it. So. Irrevocable trust? 
Yes. The difference is about a half hour discussion. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll give you. Wednesday? I believe we're on Wednesday, yep. Um, I'll give you the short form on irrevocable versus revocable. An irrevocable trust, the language will say it's irrevocable, or upon my death or disability it becomes irrevocable. Trusts are not as complicated as you think. It's all the language. It's what the words are in the document. That's all it is. The difference between a good trust and a bad trust is the, is the different words that are inside of it. That's it. Okay, why don't we do this? Let's end in prayer. Uh, I want to be respectful for the folks that are coming in after us. And then if you need to, um, we can find a room and talk afterwards or we can congregate in the hall, or stuff like that. So let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. I pray for each and every individual in this room, Lord. Please be with them as they go through their day, through the additional seminars that they go through, and the additional programs that they go to today. Lord, we know that there's many blessings in everything that we do, and we just ask that you be with us, guide us, and give us wisdom in all that we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.